2012 episode of Family Feud. Everybody, anybody ever watch Family Feud? <laughs> Come on, you know you have. You can't lie in church. Raise your hand. Everyone watch Family Feud. Uh, and uh, they asked a question in 2012. Steve Harvey asked, when, uh, asked, a, asked 100 people, when someone mentions the king, to whom might they be referring? So you know how this works, right? They survey 100 people, allegedly, um, and uh, get their answer. So we're going to have some fun with this. Um, and I'm going to say survey says... And you're going to see the answers. We're going to start with number four. This is what people said when they think of the king. Survey says, oh, that is so satisfying. Burger King. Two people said Burger King. That's what they think of. Subpar fast food. Uh, Okay, number three. Survey says, well, I cut it off. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. Cut that off. Um, three people said that. Number two, survey says God or Jesus. That's what you'd expect. What do you think number one is? Elvis. <laughs> Elvis. Yeah. Survey says Yeah, it was Elvis. It was Elvis. I don't know if it would be Elvis now. It was nine years ago. People might say LeBron James or something like that. Now, true story, Elvis was in a concert once, and someone held up a sign that said, you're the king, right? And you can listen to this on YouTube, and he says, ma'am, I, you know, ma'am, I appreciate that very much, but uh, there's only one king, and it's Jesus Christ. Um, but he was very nice about it. It was really cool, I mean, because he was a Christian. So um, We're at Saves Christ the King Sunday, and we're looking at John chapter 18, where um, it's kind of a Good Friday passage, really, where Jesus is on trial and Pontius Pilate is there and Pilate's just trying to figure out. He's caught in the middle. Uh, the, the Jews are out. They, wanna, they want Jesus killed. And their, their main tr- um, charge against him is that he claimed to be the king of the Jews or just the king. And uh, they wanted him killed for that. Uh, he claimed to be God as well. And so Pilate's stuck here and he's trying to figure this out. So he, look at verse, uh, verse 33 of John 18. He entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, who at this point has been beaten, flogged. He's bleeding profusely. His back is probably ripped open. It's a horrible scene. Um, And he asked him, are you king of the Jews? So he's trying to get down to the point with Jesus. It's just like, they're telling me this is who you are. Is this who you are? Are you guilty of that or not? Because I don't, he's like, I don't really care either way, but I need to figure this out. So these people basically will leave me alone. Jesus answered this. Now Jesus is knowing the cross is coming. He knowing he's about to be killed, um, and he still asks a, one-on, asks a one-on-one question to Pilate, where he responds, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? He's essentially saying, is that just what you're regurgitating, or do you believe this? I mean, think about that. The Son of God is still ministering to people one-on-one in these moments, and, and he asks Pilate this directly. The voice of the king is coming directly to Pontius Pilate, and then Pilate has a choice. What's he going to do with that? Like many people do, he, he deflects it, right? He, he ignores it. And Pilate says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Don't ask me that. So he just brushes it off. He doesn't even bother. But see, Jesus acknowledges that there's some sort of dichotomy going on in Pilate. He can sense that. Because at the end of this passage, Pilate asks, we ask veritas, what is truth? And so he sees that there's, there's a split there in Pilate's heart. And he's He's pressing him on it. He's sort of saying, what, what do you believe about me, Pilate? Um, yeah, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? 
Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews, but as it is, my kingdom is not from here. So Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Jesus doesn't directly say, yes, I'm a king, but he's saying, I am, but not in the way you're thinking of it. My kingdom's not from here. It encompasses this place, but it's not the way you're, you're picturing it in your mind. And I want us to focus on today on this phrase, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asked him, what is truth? Is truth subjective? Is truth whatever we make up? Is truth whatever we want it to be? Is truth what culture tells it's, uh, it is? Or as Christians, do we believe, the church historical has always believed, that truth is embodied in a person? That pr- truth is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ? That I don't get to decide what's true and false necessarily, ultimately. It's ultimately God's call that Jesus is truth. His words are truth. And those who listen to his voice will go it will belong to truth. So when he says that phrase, he's implying that as the king, his voice is authoritative, that his words lead people into truth, that his kingdom is not with castles and moats and plunder and, uh, you know, empire. It's not, it's not his kingdom. His kingdom is unseen. His kingdom is spiritual. It's much more expansive than what Pilate or even the Jews were accusing him of. They didn't get it. His kingdom of what is all that is righteous and pure and true. And his phrase here, whoever belongs to the truth listens to my voice, implies the, that do, those who do not listen to his voice, therefore do not belong to the truth. The converse of that statement. But here's the tough part about listening to the voice of the king, is that human beings in our natural state, we can be really, really bad at listening spiritually. We're heavily distracted, right? We're kind of like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Just like, what, mine, mine? You know, just like all over the place. And we don't, it, even now, when you're listening to a sermon, your mind is racing and thinking about tw- 12 different things at one time. It's just how we're wired. And so listening to the voice of the king naturally is very difficult. It's not impossible. We can get better at it as we go through life. I truly believe that. But we're not initially very good at it uh, in, our, in our walk with Christ, especially. Now, the voice, Christ can speak to people, even if you're not a Christian, he absolutely does. Um, but left to ourselves, it, it takes what we call discernment. And I'll get into that in a minute, about discerning what could be his voice and all these other stuff I need to filter out. Now, a lot of people in our culture, um, outside, there aren't, there aren't believers, they'll look at the church on a Sunday like this, Christ the King Sunday, and, and go, really, today is Jesus, he's king? When I look around the world, it doesn't look like anybody's in charge. Really? He's in charge of all of this? That's the best you've got, church? And, and the, the problem with that statement is that's a costly error because they're looking in the wrong place for evidence. They're looking at carnal, physical evidence. And even Jesus said, my kingdom's not like that. You're looking in the wrong place for my reign. My reign is in the human heart, right? It's, not, it's much bigger than empire and, and money and all these things. Um, Look back to what he said. Those who belong to me, listen to my voice. Those who, um, those who belong to me are under my authority. They, they like the sheep of my pasture, right? They know the voice of the shepherd, that idea. See, many of the problems of this world 
are actually caused by people who do not listen to the voice of the king, who reject doing that, whose hearts get hardened as they continually do that. Or even worse, by people who claim to speak for the king, but in fact are deceivers. That's a whole different sermon, but that's also part of the problem. Yes, the world is messed up, but that, might, that is not a failure on the part of the king. It could be a failure on the part of his subjects um, or our unwillingness to listen. So I just want us to look at not just how we're not that good at it, because that's, you know, I think we can get better at listening to the voice of the king. I want us to look at what are ways that we can. What are ways that we can hear the voice of a king in our spiritual lives? And there are ways. There are definite ways. Um, the first is the voice of the king through conscience. You know, the idea of conscience has always fascinated me. That, what is it? Why is it there? How do we have that ability to, to have this almost like a third voice guiding people's lives? It's, isn't that, it's just, it's really interesting to think about. Because if, if God is the giver of conscience, and I believe that is true, then, then God has given us a moral law by which to follow that we can ignore. And the more and more you ignore it, I think your heart gets more and more hard to hear it in the future. Uh, and conversely, the more you do listen to it, the, more, the better at love you get in your life. But if God is the giver of moral law, and he is, then it implies that there's a moral law giver. And that conscience points to the reality of God. It's actually a very good argument for the existence of God. Just the very presence of conscience itself. John Wesley wrote a sermon with a great title. It was called On Conscience. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty pithy. Um, and he's rightly said that what we call conscience is really the prevenient grace of God at work in the soul of every person that God has given us by his grace, by his mercy, by his love to hopefully lead our lives. It's God's grace wooing us toward holiness. Now, Wesley affirmed the Reformed uh, doctrine of total depravity, that sin has touched every aspect of our world and our, our human nature. But he also would argue that because of the work of God's pre- prevenient grace, it's the grace of God that goes ahead of us before we're even conscious of who God is, that we are still have access to the goodness of God, but if we choose to respond to it. So purely by God's goodness, he's given us conscience. Uh, he taught and believed that every person we meet has God's grace within them, leading them, if we will listen to the voice of the king. See, no one must sin. No one has to. There's always a trap door out of it. There's no temptation given unto man that is unique, that we can get out of temptation that comes our way. We can choose to do it, and the longer and longer we choose to do that, maybe our hearts can get a little bit more hard. You know, when you have children, kids ask you a lot of questions, right? If you have parent, your parents, grandparents in the room, kids ask a lot of questions, um, and my usual answer that's very safe is, we'll see, right? You use that one? Like, Dad, I mean, we'll see, we'll see. And my daughter has been catching on to it, and she goes, oh, that, that just means no. And I just say, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I mean, my son, he'll, you know, they'll, they'll do the whole, dad, 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 dad. No, what? Can I ask you a question? And I'm like, didn't you already ask it? Like, what? You know, they, they want to ask you questions. Of course, it's a great thing. You want to answer. You want to give them what they need. Um, 
You know, I've never had a heart attack, but I've had a few moments where I felt like I had one. Like when you open the door to the hallway and there's like a little dark figure standing there at 2 a.m. And you, yeah, you know. Or one time I was asleep at like 3 o'clock in the morning and I opened my eyes and my son is like three years old and he's standing there in the dark. It's petrifying and he's wearing sunglasses. <laughs> I'm like, well, what are you doing? He said, Daddy, these are my dark glasses. Do you like them? I'm like, go to bed. Yeah, when they're in that toddler age and they're not in a crib anymore, it's like all bets are off, you know. You kind of move from a, a, a man-to-man defense to more of a zone. You're just like, you're just, you just got to be ready. You never know what's going to happen. Now, the, the pastor, Erwin McManus, tells a great story about this idea of conscience uh, and God's leading in our lives, the voice of the king in, in many ways where he said his son Aaron, when he was about six years old, asked him, Daddy, um, what does God's voice sound like? And Pastor McManus said, I didn't know what to answer him at that time. Fast forward a few years later, my son was in middle school. He went to his first middle school church youth camp. And in the middle of the week, I, he said, I went up to visit my son. And it turns out that when I got there, my son had gotten into a fight with some other kids and my son was furious, and he threw his stuff in the car, and he wanted to go home. And uh, my son was unrepentant. He just wanted to leave. And he said, I'll, let me talk to you before we get in the car. And they sat on some rocks in the woods, and he said, let's talk about this for a second. He said, Aaron, is there any voice inside of you telling you uh, what you should do right now? And his son nodded and said, yes. What's the voice telling you that I should stay and work it out? okay, can you identify that voice? His son said, yes, immediately, it's God. And P Pastor McManus said, this was the moment I'd been waiting for. Aaron, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else that's happened. God spoke to you and you were able to recognize him. And then Aaron gave a very middle school boy dug in response. Well, I'm still not gonna do what God said. It's a very human response, I should say. I'm still, I'm still not going to do it. Yeah, he said it, but I don't have to do it. I explained to him that was his choice, and, but this is what would happen. If you reject to hear the voice, God's voice coming from deep within and disobey his, his guidance, your heart might become a little bit more hardened to that voice. Your ears might become a little bit more dull. If you continue on that path, it will not get any better there would come a day that maybe you don't hear God's voice hardly ever at all the more you choose to ignore his leadership. But if you treasure God's voice within you, finding it in the scriptures, finding it through your conscience, and you respond to him with obedience, your heart will become softened and you'll grow more and more like him and you'll hear more of these whispers of God into your soul. And is there really anything better than hearing God whispers something in the depths of your soul? There's nothing like it. And then that, the illustration ended, and I didn't know how it turned out, but I wish they put what his son said. <laughs> so that we hear voice of the king through conscience. We can also hear voice of the king through another person. That many times, especially another Christian person, can give a word to you to challenge you, to rebuke you in love that, uh, that helps get you on the right path. Many years ago, I was working at a very large church in Charlotte, and uh, one of the person I was on staff with was in a small group with some other church members. 
And this staff member would regularly kind of bash the church in the small group and say things, you know, like, oh, if you only you saw how the sausage was being made, you know, and, and sort of go into this sort of ranty stuff. And me and another guy pulled him aside and said, you can't do that. You can't, you can't, you can have a, an opinion, but you can't turn people's hearts away from this place. That's not, that's very immature of you to do that. And he was like, basically like Aaron, he was like, well, I'm still not going to do what God told me to do, you know. He was just angry. So we can hear rebuke and challenge voice of the king through other people, but like with our conscience, we can choose to ignore it as well. Now in Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul uh, goes before an actual king and speaks to King Agrippa about the king. And it's a fascinating account to hear how Paul is pressing this king and, and then it kind of puts it on Agrippa to respond. And, I, you know, I didn't, I've never read this a whole lot in the book of Acts. Here's what happens. Paul gets arrested. He's a Roman citizen, so he appeals to Caesar for a fair trial because where he was, he was concerned he wasn't going to get a fair trial. So as a Roman citizen, he had some rights. So he appealed to Caesar. Caesar sent it back down to basically a lawyer named Festus. Festus then gives it up to King Agrippa to deal with it. And they drag Paul in front of this King Agrippa. Now, Paul doesn't try to get out of if anything, if Paul wanted to get out of this dilemma he was in, he would say, you know, he would give his own defense and he would try and p- prove his innocence. That's not what Paul does here at all. He would, if you'd see what he does here, he really tries to get King Agrippa converted. And he goes through his testimony, Jesus appeared to me in Damascus, and, and he goes through all of this stuff. And everyone respects Paul. They know how well-learned he is and educated he is. And this is, while he's giving his defense in Acts 26, verse 24 says this, while he was making this defense, Festus exclaimed, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you insane. And Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things and I speak to him freely. For I'm certain that none of these things, he's talking about this movement of Jesus people, none of these things has escaped your notice. For this was not done in a corner. He's saying to King Agrippa, everyone is talking about what's happening. You know what's been going on. You know people that were either healed by Jesus. You know people that, were, everyone's talking about it. So you, clearly you're, you know what's going on in your area of control. So he's appealing to King Agrippa's reason. King, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? So this is sort of like Pontius Pilate, sort of like, I'm not a Jew, am I? Don't, don't try and convert me here, Paul. But see, even then, there is, there is this duality of King Agrippa that Paul could recognize that was also in Pontius Pilate. And the voice of the king is always pursuing his lost sheep. He's always going after those that, that he knows are far from him. He's never gonna give up on that. He always pursues people. He, he wants to go after them and win them to save them. And Paul re- replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. And, I mean, that's a bold statement. He's on trial. He's not trying to get out of it. He says to King Agrippa, yeah, I want you to get, become a Christian. And everyone else in here too, except for these chains. So Paul, it, you know, well, one of the most fascinating things about the gospel of John and many of the gospels, but especially John, John says that there is, if, if, 
if we tried to record everything that Jesus did, we, we could not hold all of it. So what we see in the Gospels is just a few dozen accounts of miracles and things like that. But there was way more that Jesus did that wasn't even written down. And Paul is appealing to those things. He's saying, everyone knows what's been going on here, Agrippa. He's pointing to publicly available evidence. He's saying to him, this is reasonable. You know this is true. If you know someone who's been touched by this. See, Christianity has always claimed to be a fact. And it is. It's not a myth. It has archaeological evidence to back it up. It's real places with real people. It really happened. You may not believe it, but you, but you can't really laugh it off like Agrippa did or, or Pilate did. So Agrippa doesn't say, yeah, you're nuts. He just dodges the question, right? He says, are you trying to con- convert me here and now? And he, then he moves on and he, he w- walks away from it. See, whether it's through our conscience or another person, King Agrippa, like uh, Pilate, people are very tough nuts to crack. We, we are very resistant to the work of God outside. Uh, we can be very difficult. And many people will dodge the voice of the king today. And maybe in your, pre, in your life you've done that. I know I certainly have in many, years, many years ago. People don't want to believe Jesus is king. I like being king. I like sitting on the throne. I like calling my own shots. I don't want Jesus to spoil my fun and to ruin my buzz. You know, and it's like, you have no idea what you're missing out on. You have no idea what you're rejecting, but you hear it a lot. I don't believe in some of what the Bible says. I don't agree with some of it. I don't believe this mythical sky fairy. You see that a lot today too. I'll get to it later, but Jesus' words are still the same. What good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? What good is it if you reject these promises of God and you lose everything at the end of your life. What, why? Why would you reject the voice of the king? You would do this at your own peril. And God does not want people to do that. But people can. And people do. Every single day. You know, I, one time I read an interview with the, Pastor Charles Stanley at First Baptist in uh, Atlanta. And he said, for every person that I have prayed with on a deathbed confession, I've prayed with about as, or I've spoken to about as many people that rejected the gospel at on their deathbed. People are tough, and that's the, that's the choice we have, but God doesn't want us to do that, you know, and in many ways, if some parts of the gospel offend you, so what? That's actually a good thing, because it means it's working. It means God is chipping away at, at, at ego and pride and, and all the things that, that could be uh, crowding out his voice. I mean, think about like Pharaoh and the Exodus, and, and God was so patient with Pharaoh, he, he wanted him to repent. He, he really wanted him to stop, but he wouldn't. And eventually God's patience does run out. But, but because God may chafe us, he may rebuke us, he is holy for a reason, because he may chasten and rebuke us in love, this is the way our king reigns. This is the way our king speaks. Out of love, but love that challenges and directs and shapes us. And this is one of the reasons why precisely Christianity is the truth. Because I don't want a God just like me, right? You don't want a God just like you. You want a, you want a God that sees more for me than just what I can see about my own life. And that sees my potential more than I see my own potential. God sees your potential more than you see your own potential. And he loves us enough not just to leave us where we are, 
So we can hear the voice of the king through conscience to another person. And you don't hear this enough, but you can hear the voice of the king directly. I mean, it certainly happens. Of course, the main way I think it comes is through scripture. Many times when you're reading the Bible and, and something may jump off the page at you and, and think, wow, I've never heard, thought of it that way before. Or it could be a special word that the Holy Spirit inspires. Sometimes I tell people before you read the Bible, just pray and say, God, show me today what you want me to, to see. And he, you might not hear anything, but at least to go with, it, with, it, with a sense of expectancy to hear maybe what he has to say to you that day. Some people I've met, this happened to me too in my life, I'll tell you about it one-on-one if you want to know. I've, I've heard the voice of the king myself, and I have no, you know, all modesty, I'm just saying that's true. I, I knew a guy, a professor of mine in college, he was a professor of economics at UNC Asheville. He was an assassin in Vietnam. He was a Navy SEAL, just a total Rambo, just amazing guy, you know? And he said, I was on the back of a cargo plane getting ready to jump out at night and, and float down in the jungles, you know? And he said, I heard the voice, I heard Jesus' voice speak to me. And he said, you need to give me your life. <laughs> he said, I was, I was getting ready. He had like a knife in his teeth, you know, it's that, that sort of thing, you know? And I believe him. I believe him. And it changed his life. He was never the same after that. Now, to those of, who have experienced this, it does not mean they're super spiritual it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you if this has not happened to you. Not at all. It, all it means is God does what God wants. And it means that God speaks whenever he wishes to whomever he wishes. And he has perfect reasoning for that. The Apostle Paul, he heard Jesus' voice directly in the road to Damascus and his, voice, his life was changed forever. Like Pilate and Agrippa, Paul had an inner conflict. He had an inner conflict he was restless. His religiosity was not bringing peace to his life. And he was lashing out at the world around him, literally killing Christians and enjoying it. He was, he was um, outside he felt superior, but inside he felt inferior. Outside he was supremely religious guy. Inside he was desperate. And he would write about this in the book of Romans and say, you know, there was, he was desperate for peace with God. He, he knew that only Jesus would fulfill the law. So look at these words in Acts chapter 9 as I close. Um, Saul was breathing threats, murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's actively seeking to get names of Christians. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I think you answered your own question, Paul. <laughs> he said, Lord. Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And this is critical. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a weird word. A goad is a shepherd's stick with a pointy end, and shepherds use it to guide their sheep. And he's saying, now many times in English, you'll hear it say, why are you persecuting me? It's Jesus who you've been persecuting. But I love this translation because he's saying to Paul, why have you been rejecting my discipline? Why have you been ignoring my voice? Is really what he's saying. 
I've been trying to direct you and you've been crowding me out. See, stop shutting out my voice. We hear so many voices in our lives. And one of my prayers for all of us is that we would grow in discernment, discerning this voice of the king, taking time to be still and to listen each and every day. And many times you might not hear anything, and that's okay. But God desires for us to lean toward him and choose to listen to the good things he says about us, even the hard things, but they're still loving things, the voice of the king. And that's what people are looking for. People are hungry for, uh, di- for direction in their lives. And Jesus will give it to us if we will receive it and listen to his voice, really his voice of truth. As we do that, I'm gonna, I'll be honored to say a prayer for each of us, a prayer for each of you that we would grow into that. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your voice, that it does speak, that you do speak, and that you do long to communicate with your children. God, I pray that you, thank you for, you forgive us for the way we, we do kick against the goads. We do buck and rebel and reject maybe ways that you've been wanting to shape and, and lead our lives. God, we, we bring to you all that we are, God, take our heart and make it new. If, if today maybe we feel like we have a heart of stone, I pray you make it a heart of flesh. Have baby skin around our heart. It's that sensitive to the move of your spirit. To be a people, Lord, that walk with you, that know you. God, it's hard. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're there to help us. You're there to help us hear. That we, we don't go on this journey alone. And as you move in our midst here and now, help us hear your voice and walk in the way that leads to life. Thank you, Lord, that you'll walk with us. For you are not just a good king, but the good king. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.